Hello everyone, this is Loxan and Molly and this is another episode of the Impact Consulting Podcast and today we have a bit of a special episode where we are going to be doing a bit of back and forth between me and Molly to talk about concerns about going freelance in the social impact and international development spaces. And we're going to be talking a bit about our, our journeys and how we addressed some of the concerns that we had. So looking at our concerns, how we addressed them and how you might address them. And we're also going to be discussing some of the other common concerns that we know a lot of freelancers have. Uh, and also we'll be addressing directly some of the questions that we've received through the Impact Consulting Hub's various channels, the Google group, the Facebook group and the Instagram. So without further ado, Molly... Tell us a bit about what was one of your concerns when you, before you were coming freelance, you know, what perhaps made you a bit nervous about becoming a freelancer? Very good question. And so I guess I'll start it off with when I started, I didn't have a clear, what I considered a clear marketable skill set that lended itself to a specific type of consultancy. So what I mean by that is I had a lot of experience in various different NGOs. I did a lot of project management, which I think a lot of people in NGOs are very familiar with, but at the same time, it's not really clear how you can package that and how you can sell that in a very concrete way. So I had a lot of trouble with that. I tried a few different things, and I know that you helped me a lot to really try to whittle down what I was doing into something that NGOs could digest and know what I do and put me in a, in a box. So now I'm a fundraiser. So that was a big journey to kind of go from this jack of all trades and in a lot of ways that's what I was passionate about, that's what I liked, down, whittle it down to actually selling something that is concrete and easily understood by potential clients. Very good point, Molly. And just for those who don't know us so well yet, but we, we hope to get you to know you through the Impact Consulting Hub, Molly has been freelance for about a year and a half now, I, I would say. No? Yeah, coming up on that. Yeah, so Molly was, and, and I was in this a similar situation at the beginning of my freelancing career, which was about seven years ago yeah, now. old man. I am, and yeah, I'm getting old, I feel old. And that I think... Trying to decide what to specialize in or not knowing what to specialize in the this is a bit of a core concern for a lot of freelancers and We're, we're gonna be creating more content about this how to choose your specialization and I think Molly's done a great job of Looking at her own skill set to see what is packageable and immediately that wasn't particularly clear perhaps but I it think... really no for me it wasn't it took a while to get to that point and uh, and a lot of dancing around and trying different things. And, you know, I also think that a huge mistake I made at the beginning was not understanding how important it was. And I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm good at what I do and I have experience. And so why wouldn't someone trust, trust me enough to hire me? And in some ways, yes, but in a lot of ways, no, because it's not that they, it's about trust or anything like that. It's about do you have a skill set that they know what you're doing, what you're bringing to the table, and then they can pay you for what you're bringing to the table. So you have to have that really narrowed down, really clear, really focused, and then go from there. And if you can get that one in the bag, then maybe you can expand. 
but definitely don't try to launch into the career, uh, into freelancing with this confusing or wide array of services or, or things that you do or experiences. So yeah, huge learning lesson for me. And then uh, Luxan, so that was my concern. What was yours? Well, when I was starting freelance, so I started freelancing relatively early in my career. I had worked for a consulting firm for two and a half years after graduating from my undergraduate degree. And then I ended up quitting that, moving to uh, West Africa and starting consulting there in Burkina Faso, of all places. And I know one concern that I had very early on was that decision to quit a stable job to move to something which seemed a bit unstable at the time. I know in the IC hub we have a lot of people from different countries so I think part of this is cultural but my mother who's Chinese you know she's a bit risk averse I think that is linked as well to that that cultural background so she's risk averse and my father was a lot more open to this idea of mine to quit my job to do something entrepreneurial but my mother was a bit more risk averse and wanted me to stay in my stable job so I suppose there was that concern and the difficulty at the time was dealing with some of those outside opinions about what I should do in that moment there was no perfect way but I felt like I wasn't really passionate about the job I was in and I wanted to try something entrepreneurial and I think it was about thinking about this from many angles and and then just grasping the nettle and going for it and then later on in terms of it took quite a while for me to convince my mother that it was the right decision even after I was convinced a lot of people see consulting as risky but with hindsight I would say that I feel much safer and more secure as a freelancer than if I were an in-house employee in the international development space that we work in as an employee you these days you are subjected to short-term fixed contracts you don't get all the benefits that are associated with being an employee anyway. You're forced to move countries fairly often, whereas I feel I can live anywhere and I have a job until I don't want this job. That's my first concern. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I think you, you mentioned the cultural aspect that your mother's Chinese and she has this perspective, but I think there's also a big generational gap. So baby boomer mentality is a bit, you get a job when you... Uh, are in your 30s or 20s and then you stay with that job for the next 30 40 years and then you retire and that's when you stop working altogether and you just hang out and play golf or whatever that's what my parents are doing <laughs> those jobs so molly second concern of yours second concern is about something a bit more um internal i guess and that's the anxieties and self-doubt um that just seems to bubble up when you are starting a new venture and it's very much depending on you. So I think that when you're an employee, you can kind of borrow, I guess, the um, strength of the organization. So you can say, okay, this is why I'm a good worker is because I'm working for this really good organization or my coworkers are really good. And, and so, you know, I fit into this place. So therefore, I have this intrinsic worth, whereas when you're by yourself, I guess, you know, as a, an independent, you have, you don't have that, you just have yourself, and you're selling yourself as, um, you know, a single 
thing. And so it's a lot more personal, right? So if you don't get a contract, if you don't get a project, if a client talks to you, interviews you, and then never calls you back, it feels a lot more personal. If you are like me and you have these kind of anxieties and self-doubt anyways, it can really amplify that and make you feel even more questioning yourself like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that thing to the client. Or maybe, you know, they said that they're, they're going to choose a different consultant because that person has, you know, more relevant experience. So, you know, does that mean I don't have any worth, you know, so you got this like spiral of despair. And um, yeah, so I think that, you know, it's not very rational. It's not, um, you know, if you start explaining it to someone, you, you start to feel like you're insane. But I think a lot of people, I hope it's not just me that's struggling with it. Um, so I think one thing that has helped me is, is recognizing what's uh, rational and what's irrational. And then, you know, making plans and strategies and, and also kind of seeing, trying to see things from other people's perspectives. So maybe the client didn't call you back because they just don't have the funding to do what you want to do right now. Or maybe they did just meet someone who has happens to have more experience than you. Anyway, so reframing that perspective and, you know, taking myself not as the focal center point of that and looking at it from a wider lens of everybody in this sector, I hope, I mean, I'm sure there's some bad apples, but I hope everybody in this sector is trying to create a positive impact on the world. Absolutely. Well said. And I think my next concern is also a little bit related to that in some ways. That concern more specifically is about prestige and not having a job title. You know, when you're when you're in an organization, you do, as you alluded to, Molly, you have that. It's a bit more of a comfortable situation in some ways. You know, you have that organization, that brand name above you that you're associated with. And when you're a freelancer, you are you know, Loxan Harley or Molly Morrison, independent consultant. Mm -hmm. And that is, and, and I think as well in freelancing, we know that there are freelancers who, it's, it's very easy to call yourself a freelancer. Yeah. It's very easy to call yourself an independent consultant. So differentiating yourself from people who aren't really doing it seriously, because some people, when they lose their jobs, they just update their LinkedIn job title to uh, independent consultant because they don't want to seem unemployed. Uh, you know, differentiating yourself from those those people uh, to to show that you are a high level consultant who provides a valuable service mm -hmm. is not automatic, and one can get self conscious about that. And especially again, coming back to my cultural background as well, that prestige is somewhat mm -hmm. important. Well, it's not really important, but it, it it's important, especially early on in your career. Uh, and for different people for different reasons. So I think that was a bit challenging. I think later on, I, well, I think you become comfortable with it as you do it more. And I think also that you, you do have a certain prestige as a consultant that isn't afforded to people who work in-house in an organization. I, I've certainly been on a lot of assignments where I'm called the expert. I mean, it's a bit, I'm not saying I'm the expert, but that's, how you refer to often in, in at least my field, you know, I'm a migration specialist, so I do a lot of work with governments. And so I'm often referred to as an, ex an international expert. So you get that prestige that way. So I suppose my experience has been about realizing when, to what extent prestige is, is important versus 
you know, important to me versus important to society, uh, and then also uh, experiencing prestige in a different way. Uh, and then also, I think as an independent consultant, and I don't know if you, you or others have the same experience, but I feel that I've progressively defined myself uh, in a different way that is a bit independent of my job. So instead of just defining myself as we tend to do in our societies as I'm blah, 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 I'm a, an engineer or I'm a doctor, I feel I've taken on different identities based on some of the different projects I do. So I'm a migration specialist uh, and I'm also co-founder of the Impact Consulting Hub <laughs> and, uh, and you know, we, we have various other side projects, investments that we do as well. So, so yeah, that's how I've dealt with that. Yeah, and I think my next concern kind of ties into this as well, and that's um, a concern that I had was that freelancing would be more, uh, would have less structure than working in a company or organization. And, you know, that kind of goes along with what you're saying about the prestige is that there's not a really clear progression of getting promoted. Uh, so when you do good work, somebody in your organization says, wow, Molly, you're doing great work. I'm now going to promote you. And that's how you know that you're doing what you need to do and that you're achieving what you need to achieve and it feels really good and you have that validation um, in the organization and also in society and in your own mind about, you know, I'm doing the right thing, I'm on the right track, here's where I am and then if I do really good, I can get to the next level in this organization and there's kind of that clear route to the top and so it just provides this structure and whereas with freelancing, you don't always have that structure, you are kind of responsible for everything. And in some ways, that can maybe make you a bit lazy because you don't have someone breathing over your shoulder. Uh, and so you're kind of like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I didn't do this thing. I thought I was going to do a blog post this week and then I didn't. So that that can kind of happen. But I find it's almost the opposite where because you are your own boss, you're also kind of your own harshest critic. And so you're thinking, oh my gosh, I did a blog post this week, but I don't know if it was very good. No one really, you know, engaged with it that much. And, you know, maybe I should be doing a blog post every week. Am I not doing enough? Maybe I'm doing too many. Maybe people don't like my writing style. And you don't have this external validation, you know, your boss that just says, okay, you did the work. Here's your paycheck. You're not only a worker but you're also a manager well and then how how do you give yourself the structure then i mean aside from what you said about being your own harshest critic and managing yourself in in that way but how do you how can we create yeah. that structure yeah i mean i think that you know the harshest critic is kind of a negative way of managing and maybe we learn that from you know kind of bosses who are use um, negative you know, fear of punishment to motivate us. So I think that moving away from that is really important and moving towards, you know, sitting down and you've helped me with this, sitting down and writing a business plan and then making a commitment with yourself that, okay, I think I'm going to try this blog post thing. I'm going to do two blog posts a month. You know, I'll, I'll type out what kind of topics I want to cover. But making those plans yourself and giving yourself structure, I think, is really useful. And because most of us don't think of it that way, we think, okay, you're just going to go be freelance. It's, it, you're free. It's in the name. And I think that actually you also have a lot of management. It's self-management and maybe client management. 
but you do have that management. So if you make a structure for yourself and you say, okay, I'm going to, my goal is to make this much money by the end of the year. My goal is to make, write this many blog posts. My goal is to reach out to this many people on LinkedIn. You know, whatever you're doing, you can make a goal and then you can give yourself a deadline. And then if you meet it, you can give yourself a reward. You can celebrate it and, you know, whatever, however you want to do that. But making sure that you're building in these rewards and structure so that you feel safe, you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and then you're not looking around. I, I've heard this advice from a lot of people is like, you can't really control how the world interacts with you or, or what happens once you put things out there, but you can control what you do. So if you say, okay, I don't know how many projects I'm going to get this month, but I do know that if I apply for at least one um, call for proposals, if I reach out to at least 10 people um, on LinkedIn, if I ask my friends X, Y, and Z to introduce me to something, I have this checklist, I know what I'm going to do for the month, this is what I can control, maybe I'll get no business from this, maybe I'll get 10 projects and I'll be drowning, but what I know that I can control is just my actions. And yeah, so I think that that's really a great way to do it. I think those are some really good points, especially in terms of controlling your inputs and outputs as being something that you can control and deciding what you can control and then setting yourself targets and then planning in that way. Mm -hmm. I've also found it useful for myself to look at indicators of my impact in the sense and also looking at how I can progressively work on higher impact or higher level projects and ways I've I feel I've uh, been able to do that are for example raising my daily fee regularly and it's an imperfect of course your daily fee is very much an imperfect indicator of how much impact you're providing and you know the type of work you're doing but I think comparing yourself only with yourself if you progressively raise that fee and it takes a bit of discipline to reject work that might come slightly under that fee and I, I'm not I, ha I haven't always been able to be that disciplined but uh, I've generally increased my rate every year or two you know slowly but surely yeah you're uh, giving yourself a raise giving myself a raise that's what we can do <laughs> as freelancers but but it also ensures that you are progressively working with the clients that value your time uh, of course in our space uh, I, I'm, I, you know, both of us do voluntary work and the IC hub is voluntary itself. So it's not really about the money itself, but it's more about using your daily fee as an imperfect indicator of, of the, the value. Uh, very imperfect, but it's one way to do it. And additionally, I, I've thought in the last couple of years more strategically about t the types of projects that I want to take on and the types of projects that I don't want to take on. So as an example, I've been wanting to do more training and more speaking assignments because I think that will help take me to the next level and put me more in, I suppose, public facing positions, positions where I can use my voice more. Even just by setting myself that intention uh, this past year, as you know, Molly, I've been able to get some of these training assignments, uh, even in COVID, you know, by doing it online. So that that's a kind of another way, looking at what projects you what types of projects and what types of clients you need to work on and with in order to progress yeah and i think you could also mention that to people in your own network or your friends or something and say oh this year actually i want to do more speaking events yeah. and then they might pass things to you and it also 
kind of makes it more real. Yeah, and you can check out, we released a podcast episode a few weeks ago um, about our new year, 2021 goals and looking back at our years, 2020. Yeah, so it kind of goes through how we set those objectives and and go about that process. And I think, yeah, it's a useful exercise to do. Freelancers, we're businesses. We've got a, we've got a bit, we've got a plan like businesses do. Yeah. Uh, whose go is it? I think it's my go. So yeah. my next concern was, uh, and again, these are concerns that we had previously, some of which we've continued to have, others we've managed to address. So one of my big concerns early on, because again, I started freelancing when I was 25 years old, and so or twenty four, bright eyed and bushy tailed. Yeah, you were exactly. you were very young, but especially for a consultant to start, um, yeah, start working in this way. Yeah. Absolutely not, and not many people, especially in those days, uh, not <laughs> not so many people started at that age. So I was twenty. I started when I was twenty four, and I always felt a bit self conscious about the lack, my lack of experience, and about selling myself as an expert. I think this is a common concern and actually often when I speak to people who work for my clients, you know, I speak to my clients, I'm, I'm often asked, and this is one reason why we started the IC Hub is because we often get these questions from people who are interested in what freelancing is like and whether it's suitable for them. And one of the things I hear very often is, oh, I don't feel I have the required expertise yet. And I think this is a bit of a misperception I don't think there is a kind of, uh, you know, I'm imagining this bar and I'm imagining, you know, you're, you're increasing your expertise, you're increasing your expertise, and then you reach a certain point where you have enough expertise yeah. to be and a freelancer. And the confetti and balloons drop and yeah. congratulations, like you're an expert now. <laughs> exactly. And as a freelancer, you're progressively improving anyway, or, or you should be. If, uh, and if you're not, join the Impact Consulting Hub where you'll meet people who are. <laughs> And you'll find ways to improve. But I think there's so first of all, it was about understanding that no one has the perfect amount of expertise. Everyone has different expertise. And it's also about using drawing from the different experiences that are unique to you and the specific skills set and combination of skills that is unique to you. And then working out how you can package that. And I know for sure that early on, I managed to pick up consultancy work because a lot of consultancy work these days in my field is not super high level work. Clients contract out for things that can easily be packaged and into into a set of deliverables and into a consultancy contract or when they don't have the required expertise in house, you know. So there are different reasons why people contract freelancers and I managed to slot in and do work which was not particularly high level at the time although I did work on high level stuff pretty early on in my career but I was able to do stuff which required that energy that younger consultants bring <laughs> unfortunately I've, I've worked myself with a great variety of consultants you know x number of years experience a lot a lot of experience doesn't necessarily mean a good freelance consultant and so I went in at a lower um, daily rate than much more experienced experts and I picked up work which didn't even really suit more experienced experts anyway in many cases so first of all I addressed this concern I suppose by realizing that there is no perfect amount of experience and then also realizing that uh, and and managing to find consultancies that were more at my level 
that I was suited to more so than much more experienced freelancers. My next concern is, to use a very technical term, is feeling skeezy about approaching people or clients, potential clients, and uh, selling services. What's the translation for skeezy for the non-English speakers, non-Americans amongst Uh, us? Yeah, I mean, I guess that in our society, there's this kind of, I don't know how to describe it, something that you feel a bit strange discussing money with people. There's just something about money, salaries, rates, that sort of thing that makes it really difficult to discuss openly and honestly with people. And so, you know, asking a client, so maybe I'm talking with a client and they're saying, this is what I want. And, and then I'm thinking in the back of my head is how much are they going to, you know, how much are they offering for this project? But I don't want to say it, or I don't want to say, I don't want to say, oh, this is my daily rate, you know here it is, you know, this is how much you can pay me. So I think there's this kind of strange discomfort with that and you feel a bit like a, I don't know, something strange about it. And also when you're approaching people trying to, you know, you're looking for work, essentially. You're working for looking for projects to work on and you feel a bit weird asking for money. And so I think that that's something. And then also with other freelancers, um, one thing is when you're first starting out and you're trying to set your rates, you don't know how much to charge and you feel weird asking another freelancer, Hey, how much do you charge? Unless you're, you know, a friend. And I, unfortunately now I think that we're getting into, um, well, I'm sorry, I'm getting into, um, about a year and a half of freelancing. So I have more freelancer friends. And so I'm getting to the point where I can say, Oh, how much are you charging? And, you know, we feel comfortable talking about it and, you know, saying, Oh yeah, you should raise your rates or oh no that sounds about right and so I think that once you have that community and you have people that you can ask it gets a bit better but um and then you know but there is that hesitancy and that kind of insecurity about money and especially in the social impact space where you're trying to do something good you're trying to be um an agent for change in the world and then you're turning around and saying oh and then here's the in my invoice you know so you what well, you I think <laughs> Just you would have heard earlier when I was talking about fees, I was probably a bit awkward in trying to explain how we want to progressively increase our fees because in our capitalist society, that's uh, an indicator of value. But then, you know, I was inherently uncomfortable talking about it in those terms because, as you said, we're in this space because we want to make an impact that is, uh, you know, that social impact that isn't Mm -hmm. always counted by dollars. And I think you, Molly, you've gone through a bit of a journey of trying to find out your specific style that suits you yeah. in terms of your business development and marketing style. Yeah, I'm not like uh, a big salesperson. I'm not going to convince anybody. I'm not going to chase anybody down and wow them. I wish that were the case. It's probably not going to happen. So I've kind of found a softer, roundabout way of meeting people and building community and, and expressing myself in a way that I feel comfortable with. Yeah, and I think if you focus, as as we will talk about on the Impact Consulting, in the Impact Consulting Hub, you know, if you focus your efforts on just helping people within mm-hmm. your network, and that can be focusing on look how you might be able to open your network to, pe- to people, you yeah. know, to worthy causes, worthy organizations. And then if you, if you focus on that creating value for them, then it will become more natural. At least I feel it has for us. You know, yeah. it will become yeah. more natural to um, offer your consultancy services. And I think clients generally do understand that as well. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I think getting over the the concern and the nervousness and hesitance to hesitation about offering services and pricing services also goes hand in hand with understanding what the going rates are, what the market rates are, which mm-hmm. is why at the IC Hub as well, you know, we have these discussions about how to price services and what how to do that fairly and what yeah. what other people are charging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, on the pricing and uh, um, setting rates and that sort of, of avenue, do you have any concerns about the money? Yes, well, I think a lot of people have this concern that I'm just about to say, and it's a concern I had too, uh, especially earlier on in my freelancing career, and that was, could I make enough money from freelancing? Yeah, to fund your lavish lifestyle. Yeah, my lavish lifestyle of going to Weatherspoons for breakfast. Yeah, and, no, uh, expensive cars and yeah, yeah. Um, Well, uh, <laughs> anyone who knows me knows that that is very much a joke, and I live pretty frugally. <laughs> Uh, but would I be able to make enough money? That was a concern, and I think it's a concern for a lot of people. I mean, now I know, yes, I could make enough money, and in fact, make more money from freelancing than I, I believe I would have in a sort of employee track uh, that I was in before. I was able to instantly charge a much higher daily rate than I was receiving as an employee. And that's because, and, and we'll talk about that in other posts as well, as a freelancer, you take on more risk, are perceived to take on more risk, and you have to cover your own social security, pensions, and all of that. And yes, you do have to cover that risk of not having work in a certain period. So you you can charge a higher daily rate than the equivalent employee at the same level. Uh, if, if you're able to work enough days of the year, then you will make more money than being an employee. And that's been my experience. So I think in terms of addressing the concern, I did it through experience, through execution. I made more money. It's also been a progression. You know, it hasn't uh, been something where I suddenly earned loads of money from freelancing, I think. But I think also in terms of addressing this concern, one way that I was able to start off was by living in a relatively cheap place. You know, we were living in West Africa at that time. And then after that, we lived in China. So these are these are local spaces to live, and that's a very and now we live in uh, southeast England in a small town, as opposed to living in London, where yeah. obviously food and expenses and rent would be much much higher. So yeah, so that's I think that's one point. That's one way to get started is to live in a lower cost place if you can, and also if you're working in international development, it does make sense to try and live in a developing country. That's what we did and that worked for us. And that allowed us, uh, I suppose, reduce the pressure on us to earn a lot of money. Another way to do it is to work out, write down on a piece of paper, what are your monthly expenses and how much do you need to actually live? You know, what is the minimum amount of money that you can survive on? And then it's kind of a bit like uh, worst case scenario planning. So working out what you really need as a minimum to live and then working out working out what your daily consulting rate might be through your market research and then working out how many days per month you actually need to work to cover your expenses. And I think in most places you'll probably find that that's not that much. If you're able to be a bit frugal for a while, you know, you don't actually need to work that many consulting days because of the high higher daily rates in order to survive. 
So that's one way to do it. It is, of course, harder for people who have families, harder for people who live in high cost areas, you know, like London. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. But I think by working out what your situation is and working out, let's say, how how much in savings you need to um, build up in order to give yourself, let's say, six months, a risk free run at being a freelancer is a way to address that as well. Yeah, and I think having the lower ex- having low expectations for when you're getting started. So if you know that you're you can meet your cost by working, let's say, five days a month or six days a month or something, and then you know being like, okay, that's my goal. I'm gonna be I'm gonna try to meet that that minimum, and then putting your effort towards that, and then having those lower expectations for the first year, at least my first year, I think. I exceeded my expectations, but I did set them quite low. I was just kind of aiming for covering my living costs and, and having a pretty modest, modest, but I think still nice, you know, like I'm not eating ramen noodles every night. So, you know, a still like livable, comfortably lifestyle and then how much you can actually earn and then having those lower expectations for the year. And then the next year you can kind of go up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think Molly, you've got a last. Yeah, we have a, a last one. It's uh, it's a small one, and I think that. Uh, but I have heard other people say it, so I'm going to so bring. I think it up. it's a very important one. Yeah. So I'm. I mean, I think that one thing I like and hate about working in an organization is having coworkers and having humans around you to discuss ideas with and and work on projects and and have that collaborative spirit with. Um, so on one hand, I think it's really nice to have that around me. I'm a very kind of, I'm a very teamworky type person. I really like working with people. And I also am a very, I'm a kind of person who needs to talk through ideas. You know, being able to talk through things with people who are in the know, who are on your side. Because also if you uh, are talking with clients a lot, I have a good relationship with my clients. I think, you know, I enjoy spending time with them. I enjoy that. Uh, social interaction with them but at the same time I I am you know they are a client right so if I feel okay I don't know what I'm doing I feel insecure I feel whatever I'm not really going to tell my client that whereas I would tell that to a coworker and maybe or a friend or something so that's kind of one thing that I like but double-edged sword the other side is that working with people always means a bit of drama you know somebody's got an ego somebody is fighting with somebody somebody is just annoying the living daylights out of you um, and there's these office politics and that sort of stuff going back and forth so you are kind of avoiding that because you are as an independent consultant you're outside the organization so you might see that going on in your or in your client's organization or you might be on see a little bit of drama and stuff but you're really not in the thick of it i mean i hope not unless something yeah. happens well, and, and how did you address that that concern you had about working alone uh well the i guess the concern is that or the way i addressed it is that one i remembered that there is this double-edged sword you know there are negatives to working in close quarters with people and then um you know it is nice to have people in the know and so you know it's nice if they're actually involved in the project but i found that with a lot of things if i tell somebody who's in the same field or, you know, is another freelancer who works with these types of organizations, like, they may not know the project, you know, they do know, they know how organizations work, they know how 
projects are run. They know how donors think, you know, like they have a lot of the same concerns. So you can talk with them and you can still get that brainstorming collaborative spirit as long as you are obviously willing to give back find somebody maybe in the impact consulting hub who can be your sounding board and can help you um, have that social interaction even when you are missing it and now with covid a lot of people aren't in the office anyways so a lot of people are in in the same boat yeah very very good point so i think there are different ways that i've tried to address this working alone i enjoy generally working from home and working alone but i am a social person as well and i like working in teams so i think you can work from co-working spaces mm -hmm. that's what i've done before yeah that's in, another good suggestion yeah, yeah i've done that in india i've done that in the uk and you do then have that camaraderie a little bit and those friday evening drinks and what else i would say that you can also team up and do consultancies and uh, consultancy work in teams. Uh, I did that. Um, some of you may have come to the event uh, about networking with Dr. Martin Russell that we had uh, a couple of weeks ago or last weekend. No, or the weekend before. I can't remember. Um, yes, I that. <laughs> and Time. with Dr. Martin Russell, we worked, um, we bid for, we went in for the same project and we were both interviewed for it. And so we proposed to the client that we could either work uh, alone or we would work together as a team and split the working days we also charged a slightly higher daily rate for that but we split the working days and we had identical contracts and identical terms of reference and so we worked side by side for a good six months and it was it was actually really great to just work on the same thing with yeah. someone and bounce ideas off of each other um, and in addition to that previously I've led teams of consultants on consultancy projects yeah, so. i know a lot of consultants yeah. actually work in kind of networks or have little groups or you know refer people to each other and, and stuff like that so there are ways to do that and i think i'm looking to do more of that yeah. um because i haven't done that much but now that i'm in the impact consulting hub <laughs> there's a lot of uh opportunities for that and i, I definitely i've already recommended um, you know, if somebody asks me for, oh, do you know someone who does this? I've already recommended somebody in the... Yeah. We've had our video calls with other IC Hub members every two weeks. And then we've got the Facebook, Google, yeah. Instagram so groups. Yeah, so you've got these kind of social... Yeah. These times to be social and to also feel like you have coworkers because people are going through the same things. Well, let's... that Those were our concerns. And now, now we're going to also talk about some of the concerns that some of our IC Hub members raised via our Google, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. And so the first one is from Eliza or Elisa. Sorry if uh, we're not, I'm not pronouncing it correctly. And that was, thanks for opening this discussion. I'm one of those who's considering going freelance as I want to be location independent until the COVID-19 pandemic is over. I'm at a relatively early stage of my career in international development, one year of experience after some years in the media and marketing industry, which makes me a bit insecure about pursuing my first assignment as a freelancer. I would love to hear some examples of first assignments, as well as some tips on reaching out and finding clients doing online networking. Okay, so we're, we're not going to go through in too much detail, but uh, we'll give a few of our experiences and so I think it's it's a really valid concern and it goes with one of the concerns I described earlier about feeling a bit insecure about a lack of experience. So I think part of that, hopefully I, I answered through what I was saying earlier, 
in terms of um, some first assignment examples. So uh, we can talk to our examples or our first assignments. And my first assignment was writing the, the strategy for the country office, a country office of a U United Nations agency. The client didn't need me to have a lot of thematic knowledge. It was more about getting someone who had a bit of a new perspective to look look at their kind of strengths, uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats to come in and I, I suppose consult stakeholders and and provide a bit of a strategic uh, reflection. And I got that through a friend. It was a very random uh, intro like a lot of intros are. So, yeah, that's my first assignment. Molly, what was your first assignment? My first assignment was a consulting contract with a, a previous employer and then I also got some first assignments from going to a networking event in London, just going in, meeting people, telling people kind of what I want, what I do, getting a business card, and then I've been working with them ever since, and uh, kind of referrals and that sort of thing. So I think if you're... And what was the first assignment? My first assignment was writing grants for uh, a previous employer, so I was just doing the, the bid writing. Yeah. Okay, good. Moving on to Hannah, Hannah's question. Uh, I've been a consultant for about 15 months now. My main concerns were, one, would I be able to generate enough work to pay the bills and live well? And two, how would I manage the transition from working in a team social environment to working independently? So I think we covered think most of that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, yes, work out how much you need to live, what the minimum is, and then build up some savings if you can, or either live in a cheaper place or... Um, try to build up some savings and or try to build up some savings so that you minimize that pressure and risk uh, when you're getting started because it can take a bit of time to start bringing in the money uh, although I think once you work out the minimum you can live on and work out how many days of consulting fees that is it ends up not being too much so it can actually motivate you number two so looking at how to manage that transition from working in a team uh, environment to work just in join the impact consulting hub exactly join the impact <laughs> consulting hub is number one where you can connect follow with. our instagram yeah <laughs> so yeah it's about you know connecting with your peers and um, you can do that through the impact consulting hub you can do that other ways and it's also about you can work physically with people in co-working spaces and then you can go for more team focused consulting assignments too okay so the next question is it's from Paige. As she says, how and where to begin? Do I need experience being employed elsewhere before going freelance? What experience or connections do I need and how to get there? Yeah, so that question also came from Soweto, so it's clearly um, a popular one. Molly, what do you think? I think that I, I it's a tough one because I think it really comes down to what kind of service you're offering. I think that in a lot of cases, it does help to have the experience of working in an organization full-time before going freelance. But at the same time, there are things that you could jump into straight away as a freelancer and have a lot of success with. I think it kind of comes down to what your field is. And, and, and also, like some people have transitioned from academic backgrounds to consulting. So that's kind of a different uh, transition than if you're coming in without that academic background and you're just, you know, young and, you know, I don't know. So it's, it's really hard for me to answer. I'm not being very helpful. How about you? What well, do you think? I, I think I'm always hesitant to say what, how people should start freelancing because I started freelancing very early in my career 
and I've been able to make it work. I think it's it, there, there are certain, um, it's easier to get into freelancing if you have worked a little bit in an organization, just because you have more contacts, you generally have more of an understanding of the market and what types of consultancies are out there that, you, that, that match what you can do. There are people who go into consulting, like myself, who had very little experience of being employed and I think, well, also Molly, your, a lot of your ex career experiences were uh, very much entrepreneurial, independent, and so on. So you can go into freelancing at any stage, uh, but you're going to face different challenges and some opportunities as well by going in at different stages. Your potential clients will be looking at your credibility. If they just need you to set up a website or write some blog posts for them, they might be a bit more, you know, they might just be happy to hire you without having a really strong sense of what you've done before. But if you're doing something like where you really need to understand how NGOs work, you need to understand the sector, you need to understand how donors think, you need to understand all these different moving pieces, then you you might want to consider working in a, an organization just to figure that out. Absolutely. So next question is from Isabella, and she said her concern was, uh, is it was about difficulty finding steady work. I think that comes back to what Hannah asked and what, what I noted as one of my concerns, you know, will I be able to make this work financially? Uh, will I be able to generate that steady work? And again, I think it's about doing your market research, uh, finding out what, what kind of demand there is for the type of work you do, building that network. And then it comes back to giving yourself that security by building up some savings, uh, minimizing your expenses, moving somewhere cheaper. And I have a small point just about the steady work is that basically every time you're speaking to someone, you're planting a seed, but you're not actually going to get work from that directly. So I have a bad habit of this. I don't know if other people have it, but when I'm doing project work, I'm doing project work and I focus on that and I leave behind all the business development things and you know I have a plan I have a business development plan but it often gets pushed to the back burner when I have project work and then I finish the project and I'm like oh dear I, I didn't plant any of the seeds or I haven't been nurturing my seeds and now I have to kind of go out and try to build those relationships and you know like cultivate that whole thing again so I think it's kind of this balancing act where on one side you're doing your project work and then on the other you're out there still marketing yourself and then keep that plate spinning so that as soon as one project ends, then you can jump on to the next. Okay, next question. So this comes from Faith via the Instagram and she's asked, is it financially viable? Okay, I think we have addressed that. I think that. we've addressed it, yeah. Uh, so moving <laughs> to the next question um, from Himalaya. Uh, hopefully I've pronounced that correctly. Imposter syndrome was a big concern of hers and how to define her specialization. I think we've spoken a lot about imposter syndrome in the, in the IC hub through various content. Uh, Molly, what is your experience? With I that? think, uh, well, one thing that I found really interesting about that is that I, you know, I mentioned earlier in this podcast how, oh, I'm anxious and have self-doubt and all that stuff. And then I think one thing that I realized is that sometimes when you're anxious or have self-doubt, you start to close yourself off or you are critical of yourself or whatever. And then you don't notice that other people around you are probably experiencing the same things. So a lot of times with clients, I'm, you know, when I first approach them, I kind of feel like, oh, they're the boss, you know, they're, they're going to pay me or give me this contract or not. I've kind of changed that narrative in my head. And I know that clients are also really struggling with imposter syndrome. Maybe they're 
doing an NGO as a trustee or whatever, and they've never worked with an NGO before, or maybe they've never applied for a project before. So kind of empathizing with them and realizing that they probably feel insecure. So you can take the time to kind of compliment them as well and say, oh, you've done a great job on this. You know, it kind of puts you also in a position of not authority, but equality, right? Because you're, if you are the one always receiving the praise or criticism, you're like the student and they're the teacher, they're the parent, you're the child. And if you kind of equalize that relationship a little bit where you say, oh, it's really great that you're doing that and that's amazing. And so you're all just people. And I think that kind of helps. It helps me anyways, that reframing helps me to address that issue. Absolutely. And in answer, in response to your concern about defining specialization, I think I covered that as well earlier too. So it's about reflecting on your own skill set, thinking about what ways you can package your skill set, what services you might be able to offer. And then it's about doing your market research to work out what what the market wants too. And you can do that through looking at Relief Web, looking at consultancy postings. You can do that by speaking with people who are in your field, talking to them, seeing what kind of work other consultants in the IC hub who do similar things are doing and speaking with previous employer, for example, or speaking with colleagues in your current organization. Many ways to do your market research. Okay, next question. Final question Mm -hmm. from Gabriella who is a very regular member of the IC Hub, and we're glad for that. And she's asked, or she's said um, that her concern is definitely about the administrative stuff. And she says, I am afraid of breaking all the laws. Smiley face. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think the administrative stuff is, in most, it depends on the jurisdiction. And we're going to do a post on this too, which might already be out by the time you hear about this. You, You hear this podcast going out. I think the things that, freelancers need to do generally Uh, you know we do need to do a few things because we are businesses Uh, we need to register ourselves and in most jurisdictions there's some sort of sole trader or sole proprietor status where you're essentially registered as a self-employed individual Uh, you can also register a, a company alternatively register a company incorporate and there that's a bit more complex but there are some tax advantages to doing that you may need to get liability insurance for some uh, sorts of consulting work i've had to get that for some clients before some clients have required that before for me to get liability insurance and that's kind of insurance against uh, (laughs) your consulting work causing damages to your client which tends not to be a risk in most types of consultancy there other than that it's the usual bookkeeping and accounting which is not really complex for most most consultants because yeah even i can figure it out exactly i think that's a good and then invoicing you know invoicing after you have provided your services uh, under the contracting with the clients anyway we're developing a post on that so keep a lookout well i think that's all for today that was a long episode but i think we got through a lot of the concerns that people have uh, when they're becoming freelancers and continue then concerns that people continue to have even when they're more experienced freelancers uh, like us so i hope you found that useful thank you so much for listening yeah take care out there thank you so much for listening to the impact consulting podcast if you want more free advice and guidance on becoming a freelance consultant in the social impact and international development space head to impactconsultinghub.com and subscribe to our mailing list we'd love to see how we can help thanks again for tuning in and see you next time